God's good, amen. Was that all right what we got so far? I felt a bit rambly. You got something? Let's redeem rambling, shall we? Can I, can I tell you something I really think we need to redeem is not quite knowing what we're going to do next. I mean it. I'm going, it's, that, is, that is what we preachers and leaders should feel like often. Not quite sure what's... While we retain control, he doesn't. And that's, that's really key. So anyway, I, I hope I'm helping someone and... and, and, and uh, Feel free to ask me questions in between sessions. And I've got some books at the back there. There's one that I think probably I'm here because of called When Spirit and Word Collide. My background really is, is, is worship and, and very much kind of, a, I would call it a spirit angle. If you read the book, you'll get what I'm meaning by that. Um, and uh, I've really, over my uh, 30 years in ministry and then 12 years leading the church, realized that I've had to, as a, as a spirit man, in other words, I love to preach and prophesy. I love meetings. I love all that kind of stuff. But my, I, I, I loved to be a minister, but I had to learn to be a leader. I didn't feel so comfortable at it. But it's often leadership that grows your church and ministry that empowers your church. They're two quite different things. And so this is about my journey in that, my definitions, but work through it and have a little look at the book. Um, uh, one of the key points in this is that Smith Wigglesworth prophesied that there'd come a day, and there was a serious, there were several levels to this prophecy, but it, it landed at the end, and all the other things that the prophecy said would happen have happened. And he talks about at the end, there would come a day when people of the Spirit and people of the Word would come together, and it would usher in the greatest revival the world has ever seen, eclipsing the Welsh and the Wesleyan revival. I believe we're alive at that time now, when Word and Spirit are coming together. Great growing, well-led, excellent churches that are coming together and also still being spirit-filled miracle centers where the glory of God is at work. Because often you end up in one of those two camps, small and freaky or big and dead. Right? And, and actually, so if you've got a growing church, you'll know it's very hard to keep the sense of the spirit alive when you start to go into the hundreds and beyond, because now you realize we're an organization, it's employment law, it's all this, you know, you have to, you have so much organization, the danger is we organize the spirit out of the church, and we lose what we're called to do, so it's a very difficult thing, so this is about my own journey of trying to bring spirit and word together, and, uh, and what I think that prophecy means, but I think it's hugely important for us in this day, that uh, some of our, our, our perhaps freakier, Prophetic congregations need to grasp, you know, th there are parts of the church that, 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 you know, leadership is considered a slightly dirty word or organization is of the devil, but it isn't, is it? Um, but then also we need moves of the spirit. And can, I, can I say, even if like a phrase like m the m moves of God might seem strange to someone, what does that mean? God's always moving. Well, I don't know about you. I've had lots of Sundays when he definitely isn't. <laughs> and neither are we. Do you know what I mean? We're all kind of, <laughs> Right. But then when God sweeps through, that's what I mean. And so the language in our church, we call our church a presence culture church, which again, it's not about goosebumps of feelings. It's that God manifest should be at the center of what we do, that he should be turning up. Miracle signs and wonders should be commonplace. And we call it a presence culture because it's, it's imagine the children of Israel going through the desert and at the center of it all, there was presence. And uh, at the center of David's and Solomon's kingdom, there was presence, this, this place of the glory of God. Uh, at work and that's what church should be like I believe and so um, it's, it might be who wants this one here somebody oh right at the back can you, can you come up or look Steve will bring it to you 
There you go. If you want to get any books and I'm, I'm busy or just lying on the floor, which I might be later, Stephen and A are here. They'll, they can take money and stuff. Then this one, and I felt just to mention this one. Um, uh, last year, I, I had July and August off just to pray. And, and actually, my director said one thing. Don't go away and just write a book. You know, rest and actually pray. So, I'm, yes, of course, I will. And then I found myself in London, and in two days, God just downloaded 27,000 words of prophecy to me about the era that we're in, all based around the fact that it was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation last year. And I believe both what, through what God's been saying to me and then what I've studied that he's saying around the world is that we are alive at a pivotal time. Every 500 years, God seems to adjust what he's doing in the earth. And, and uh, if, if you track back through the Bible, even you will find that you've got, you know, uh, Abraham, the father of faith, 500 years later, you've got Moses. Think of every major figure. They come in about every 500 years. 500 years later, you get David. 500 years later, you get the exile. So God is changing what he's doing in the earth. 500 years after that, you get Jesus. 500 years after that, after hundreds of years of the church blazing across those straight Roman roads and taking the gospel out, you enter the dark ages. 500 years after that, the, the church has a great schism as it splits in two. Uh, 500 years after that is 500 years ago when Martin Luther said, that is not enough, and he began to question what religion had become and what the powerless church had become. 500 years ago, and we've had 500 years of reformation. You know, there was a time when, when, when a group of people speaking in tongues like we've done this morning would be a historical documented, wow, what just happened. Now, over, half, uh, over 500 million people on the earth speak in tongues. And uh, uh, um, you, we are alive at a remarkable time. So you are alive at one of the 500 marker points in history. And if we can just get away from the school run and the nappy changing and Sunday by Sunday for a moment and just get on God's mountain or God's balcony and look at what's happening in the earth. Right now, there's incredible stuff happening as God is shifting and actually a move of what the book is about, a move of glory is beginning to touch the earth, which has been prophesied because we all know God's end game is that the glory of the Lord would cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. So we know where we're going, right? That, that God's, what's God's glory, his goodness made visible, made manifest. God breaking out, not being hidden in English, but coming right up front and being all American on the world and just blasting out there, right? That's, that's the glory of God. It's not being quietly British and humble on the back row. It's, I'm here. That's what God's doing in the earth right now. And so in the Welsh revival, uh, 100 years ago or, or so, um, you know, 100,000 people got saved. But I've stood in a meeting with, with Reinhard Bonke when over a million have got saved in one service. Ten Welsh revivals in one evening. Do you know that more people are being raised from the dead than ever in history right now? Never has the power of God been more available on the earth because it's what he's been... When God reforms and puts together a temple, when you get a completed tabernacle or a completed temple in the Bible, what happens? It gets filled with glory. 500 years of reformation, God's ready to fill this temple with glory. So we're entering an era of glory, and all the prophetic words around the world have been confirming this for a while and collated quite a few in here. But even I noticed this week with Billy Graham's death, have you noticed the prophecies going around that there is a release of a new mantle, a new glory on the earth right now? And uh, so something is going on, and I say that, to make us go, I need to get on the mountain and think about my life. I've been born for such a time as this. This is the raising the dead generation. 
I've got a friend in America. We're part of a network based out of America. They, their church has a resurrection team. If somebody dies in their city, the local sheriff will invite, would you like someone to come and pray for you and even for the body? And they say, yeah, or nay. And they often lead people to the Lord in that time. But they see nine people raised from the dead. They were in Siberia. He did, he did a seminar in Siberia in December. And the title of the seminar was How to Raise the Dead. Can you, I mean, I just love that, don't you? Arr, come on, get on the bowsprit, right? That's not hiding in the hole. That, come on. So they taught 200 people how to raise the dead and then said, go out and pray for every dead person you can find. And we don't see many around here, but in Siberia, they're a bit more plentiful. Within 48 hours, two people have been raised from the dead. Some, then, then they're connected to a church in South America that have raised 300 from the dead. And the thing we've got to realize is it's not because they glow in the dark. It's this atmosphere where God walks in the room and we go, ah, clay jars, his glory, God touching the earth. Arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of God is rising upon us. Amen. So God's up to something. So that's, that's 500. Have a little look at that. It's got a bit of teaching at the back there. Can you, there's a lady with hand up at the back. Go for it. But they're all over there if you want to have a little look at them. And, and um, all right. I am struggling a little bit today because I, I just want God to do so much, don't you? But um, let, me, let me talk for a little bit about the culture of the presence of God because we're, we're leaders and, and uh, by way of a, a little introduction, if you're taking notes, just take a little, if we're going to build a place filled with God's presence. It's a culture that we build. It's not an evangelist we invite. It's a culture that we build that sees God's presence move. It's a little bit like I was saying, you build a temple in the way that God says, and he comes. Now, of course, the temple isn't stones. Now it's us, isn't it? Ephesians 2, 20 to 22, we're a temple being built together that God dwells in by his spirit. So they're living stones, is that right? Now, I don't, I don't know about you and leadership, but the fact that they're living stones really irritates me. You get the whole thing set right, and then a year later, they've all moved, <laughs> right? So you're constantly trimming the sails, adjusting. And in fact, so I use architectural language, but actually building a church feels more like planting a garden and moving it and pruning. And they're living things. Everything has a life of its own, and it shifts and adjusts. So we're planting a garden for God to walk through. Not just putting it, it's, church is not an engine that everybody's a bolt and if we put it together, it'll work. I don't know if you've tried that. I used to. My OCD would kick in and I'd try and tidy it all up. But I've realized it's a garden that God wants to come and walk through. And so we plant it. And there's, there's things that we plant and we fertilize the soil with, cultures that we create. And the first one is what I did this morning. And uh, it's the culture of longing is the first thing we must create in our church. Not the culture of the status quo, not the culture of contentment. Somehow you've got to have a kind of contentment, but you've also got to long. You've got to be well fed, but hungry. You've got to be well drunken up, whatever the word is, but thirsty. Somehow we have to create a longing. And here's my challenge to you. And I say this to my team. I didn't employ you for your skills with admin. I need you to be a bundle of longing in this church. Because that creates atmosphere. 
when a room just goes, God, we need you. We're longing for more of you. God doesn't meet us at our point of need. He meets us at the appetite that we bring. And we build altars of appetite and we call on the name of the Lord and he comes. And so our churches have to have longing. And my job as the leader of, of, uh, of our church is to be the, 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 the or say, what you, the, the longiest. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I've, I had a word in my head, but it's gone. I have to be the biggest bundle of longing in my church to get up all tidy Who's that going to help to get up and go, guys, I need Jesus. You need Jesus. We need his spirit in our lives. I don't have it all together. Who does it help to pretend that we have it all together? It really helps people when I go, guys, I'm a, I've been a bit bored this week. So I've called for the fire of God to come and burn in my heart again. I've run out of longing. Sometimes I tell him, you lot have worn me out. <laughs> so let's get back to longing together. And cry out to God. Because longing creates an atmosphere. Do we stand in front of our churches and long? The second thing that we need to put into a garden that's going to cause the glory of God and the presence of God to reside among us is a culture of worship. First one, longing. Second one, worship. Worship is hugely important. I would say very rarely should we hand it over to musicians. It is a pivotal and powerful part of what we do together and it's not just about music is it you know when I've looked for various worship leaders and employed some and all I always I always want to know their answer what do you think what do you think worship is about what do you think being a worship pastor is about and as soon as they go on about the songs I go it's not you you don't know what worship is as soon as they talk to me about the music and blending it together I used to be a worship leader, so you know, I, I get all of that. But for me, you know, I, I played piano, played guitar, written some songs. And, but, but I know there came a day when I fell out of love with music and I fell in love with the presence of God. And it transformed what happened when I led worship. And the problem is if we get musicians, and these guys are great, aren't they outstanding? Just the way they can just facilitate the presence of God. Because it is, it's like those priests who can stand back and just let God have his way. I just love the atmosphere here. We need to build worship that is this. What is worship? And I listen and I listen and I listen to the worship leaders. And when they say, worship is meeting God, I go, you got it. We're here. We're reconciling men to God. We're not going, listen to me. We're going, there's God. There's you. Let's bring you together and see God move. That's what worship is. So that our worship service are encounters right? And, uh, you know, out of that, all little things like the run sheet. Well, we'll talk about the run sheet in a bit. We'll have fun with that one, shall we? We've already mentioned the run sheet. But there's a culture of longing, a culture of worship. Here's an unusual to think about, a culture of outpouring. Acts chapter 2 is bookable. Now he's poured out his presence. How often, and maybe you do it a lot, but I'll throw it out there. How often do we go, we're just going to gather and just allow the Holy Spirit to pour out until we're overwhelmed by the power and presence of God. And every gift that he's given us becomes amplified and increased. The authority in God begins to grow because you will receive power, authority, ability, and strength after that the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you and I both know that to be filled 20 years ago is pretty pointless. In fact, even to be filled yesterday is nice, but we need an infilling today. 
but it's bookable, isn't it? It's like Elisha saying, I'm feeling a bit grumpy with these kings. Bring me a harpist. I need to find God. And the harpist plays. And as the Bible says, the hand of God came on Elisha as the harpist played. We need to gather together, get our musicians up, play some nice music and go, but guys, we're not going to get stuck on songs. We're going to get into the overwhelming presence of God. Now, sometimes you see what happens in our churches. We get so dry, we, we live dry. And so when a move of God begins to touch our churches, if you look out at the crowd, you realize half of them don't know what to do. They've never been in and around Acts chapter 2. A lot of churches are Pentecostal, spirit-filled, in creed only. There should be miracles in our services. There should be miracles on our streets. The power of God should be breaking out. And where does it start? In a culture of outpouring. So that there's moments and times, I, I get, all this goes in ebbs and flows, doesn't it, through the reality of church life. In our church, I'm, I get together with our guys and I go, guys, we're all being a bit boring. What do we need to do? Well, rip up that run sheet for a minute. We need to get the musicians up. We need to stand up. Somebody needs to long. And then we need to say, right, guys, we're diving into the spirit of God. Let him break out. And sometimes they go, but people might leave the church. And I go, well, let them. Anybody who doesn't want God is probably in a Christian. And how do they get on the eldership if they don't want God? <laughs> It's funny, we've got a theology of tidying God up, haven't we? I think a little bit. Like God's English. Oh, dear. We need a culture of outpouring. We need a culture of overflow. John 7, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it should be pouring out from your innermost being. Here's a little thought as a leader. I've found this again and again in moves of God. Somebody somewhere needs to break rank and go, I ain't playing church. I want God to move. I remember once being in this youth conference, it was about a thousand youth, and it had gone Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it was really boring. Do you know, like leading worship with youth, they were like, <laughs> one of those sort of weeks. And I, I, it was my job to lead, to lead worship and kind of host on the Monday night, and I was dreading it, because I can't stand playing church. I go for walks in gardens, and so instead, I'm, like, I'm not hanging around here, these people playing around at church. And... But it got to the Monday night. I'm like, oh, come on, God, move. I, I don't want to look at their miserable faces for an evening and sing three fast songs and three slow songs. I want you to move. And I just got so hungry in the little prayer meeting before the service. I just got overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and I fell to the ground. And the team were like, okay, well, they carried on praying. But I didn't get up at the end of the prayer meeting. I couldn't get up. So they picked me up and they dumped me behind the screen and they started the meeting without me. And then after about the second song, I thought, well, I'm on the rotor. I should be doing something. And I remember I was just overwhelmed by God. So I crawled up onto the platform. You know, I want to redeem being like this. Some of you are wondering whether it's redeemable. Jesus prayed with loud groans and tears, and I crawled up. I think there was a microphone here, and I pulled myself up the mic stand, and I stood, and I looked at them. <laughs> and they looked at me. Something happened in the room. They knew, ah, we're not going to do three fast songs, three slow songs. 
something is about to happen and the atmosphere changed. But someone had to call it and break rank. Run sheet, song list, or break rank. I don't mean every week, every, every time, every meeting. But you know, when you're going, come on, guys. Let's break out. It takes someone. We often we hide in our prayer corners. God, break out. God, break out. And he's going, you break out. I've anointed you. I'm ready to go. I'm up here on my cloud having a coffee with Gabe and Michael. When you break out, I'll break in. But we lock God in a box. And we run church for him. I said to the youth guy, I said, just raise your hands for a moment. As they raised their hands, I said, receive the Holy Spirit. And all around the auditorium, kids began to just fall under the power of God. For three hours, we sang one song. And just waves of the Holy Spirit moved through the building. People with demonic problems were running out into a cafeteria next door. Our evangelist ran after them and was delivering people in the cafeteria. <laughs> Divine chaos. <laughs> Somebody somewhere has to overflow. I tell worship teams, if you're going to get up there, get up drunk in the spirit. You see what happens in the room when you do that. Don't get up to play your songs. Get up to burn. Be like Wesley. I set myself on fire and the whole world came to watch. You go and watch the old videos of people like Kenneth Hagen ministering. These are faith guys, so you think they're word guys. You watch him. He's drunk in the spirit most of the time because his faith and the power of God connect together and suddenly poof, out come all these miracles. So we need to redeem what it is to be overwhelmed. To be, I, I am a vessel overwhelmed by the very presence and power of God. Now you might go, well, I've never been like that. Well, now's a good time to start. <laughs> Yep, yep, but I don't know how, how to get it. Here's, here's part of our issue. We grow up in school learning to, to live from this. Or some of us, the creative, intuitive types, live from this, the emotion. But you're not going to find God with your mind or with your emotion. You're going to find God with your spirit down in here. And just go, oh. We had an outstanding half-night of prayer the other week, didn't we? Just God was moving. And, and Stephen and they were, were helping to lead. And I was, I'd just done a bit, and the, the room was going nuts. It was just such an intense power. And, I, and I, was, I was handing the mic to them, and I just said, look, little trick. Don't go to teacher place. Stick with prophetic place. Don't lead from your head and come out with bullet points. Go with your gut. They took the microphone, went with their gut, and See, we lead too much from up here. And we've lost the art of what it is to follow the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit and find the Spirit when he's walking through the room. I remember I was with an evangelist friend of mine. He's raised the dead many times. He's a powerful man of God. And we're sat in a meeting. It wasn't our turn to minister. We're sat there. There's 4,000 people in this meeting. And the worship was fantastic. It was really great. But we were aware it's a very controlled environment. Let's just say they tend to stick to the run sheet. And, but it got to that place where you just felt... We're on the edge of glory. Seriously, the membrane is thin. If this group pushed through, this is the atmosphere when you see videos of, you know, Aura Roberts in the early years, the, the Jeffries brothers, the signs of Catherine Coleman. We're on the edge of that kind of atmosphere. And we looked at each other, what's going to happen next? And then, it, uh, evidently, the guy that was hosting didn't know what to do, as is often. 
the, the case. You kind of, I'm, I'm a little bit lost. I can feel we're on the edge of something. And he handed the microphone to someone. And they just got up and prayed. Then they went back to the run sheet and did the next thing. And my friend Jonathan, he leaned over to me and he said, listen, when the presence of God turns up, there's only one anointing to call on, and that's the prophetic one. They're the only ones that get what's going on. Most of the other anointings revert back to the run sheet or the next thing on the agenda. But that prophet, and I don't just mean the prophets, come on, we're prophetic. And our meeting should, should allow the prophetic anointing to push us through. Because teachers work in principle, but it's the prophetic anointing that makes us go, God is imminently, powerfully here. Don't waste this moment. He's walking by. Seek him while he may be found. Push through. God's about to break out. And we've got to start to look for the prophetic anointing. In our church, we tend to have practical hosts and prophetic hosts. And I say, guys, the practical hosts are there to make sure the baby dedication gets done. Even if it's very quickly at the end. <laughs> To make sure we're given all the right announcements, that the coffee's right, and all that kind of stuff. But the real lead for the service needs to be the one that's going, what's God saying? Where are we going next? How can we go further into his presence? So we don't lead off run sheets, we lead off the voice of God. Because that's where it all gets exciting. There's no way you can plan this. We definitely become second in command. And we go, right, what's the captain doing? Right? But, but, okay, so law of overflow. Uh, I won't do that one. Uh, 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 um, culture of mission. You know, if this doesn't lead anywhere, it's pointless, isn't it? Uh, we have to be going out and reaching. I remember doing a meeting in a new church plant, place that we were planting, and we'd hired a sports hall. And, and um, uh, the meeting got quite wild. There were people on their knees, people crying, people, people interceding, deliverance, all kinds of stuff going on. And then I realized halfway through the service that we'd forgotten to close the curtains down the side of the hall. And it was just, you know, just in a community and... Uh, it's just an open sports hall. And all these kids were gathered outside going. <laughs> so one of our guys walks out and kind of goes, are you all right, lads? And he, yeah, what the is going on in there? And he said, it's, it's, it's God touching people. And listen to the response of an unchurched 15-year-old. Will he touch us too? See, the river in the temple needs to go out to the world. Be touched by the very presence and the power of God. There's got to be mission and ascending in what we do. But let me, so let me share with you three, and I'll, I'll probably labor these a little bit more. Three key things, okay? So we've done a few culture pieces, a few more culture pieces that we really need to grasp, I think, if we're going to see God moving in and around us. 2 Timothy 1.6. Two Timothy 1.6 says this, for this reason... It's apostolic father talking to, to his spiritual son, Timothy. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of my hands. So here's the point on this. There's something that is in you that is like a bonfire, like a fire. And he says to Timothy, fan it into flame. In other words, it's totally up to you, Timothy, whether it's a burning bonfire or an ember, the choice is yours. He says, fan into flame the gift that's in you through the laying on of my hands. And then he goes on, I believe, to tell us what is it that turns the bonfire into an ember most often. It says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Everybody say timidity. Everybody say cowardice. God does not give us a spirit of timidity, but love, power, and a sound mind. Here's another cultural piece. We need to move from cultures of fear to cultures of boldness. God moves around risk. Somebody, come on, grunt at me. Arr! 
right? Remember, I'm a northerner now. But fear leads more church services than the Spirit of God does. Fear locks God tidily in a box when God is longing to break out and move among us. Fear locks the, 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 the fire and turns it into an ember. But when we operate in boldness, God breaks out. There's a movement of the Holy Spirit. Why do we need boldness? Right, let me define miracles. Is that okay just for a moment? Uh, miracles are simply this. Us acting in obedience to the voice of God. Miracles are what happen when we respond to the still small voice of God in our hearts and step out and then God moves. So Moses is facing the Red Sea. Uh, Egyptians, Israelites, Red Sea. God says, get that, there's the key. God says, lift your stick over the sea and I'll part the sea. A little act of obedience. Now, waving sticks over seas does not part them. Anybody notice? We, we, we can go down to Grange over Sands right now and wave all the sticks we want to and the sea isn't going to part. But when God says, if you do this, I'll do that. This is where the power is. This is where the authority is. That still small voice of God speaking in our hearts. So when we hear his voice and we have the boldness to step out. Now, this is what lots of us do in our culture. We go, we would, like Moses, we'd have gone, God, don't mess around. Just part the sea. Look, we're praying. We've got oil. We've got Ribena. We're blowing the shofar, right? We've got plastic swords and we're wavering around. Our intercessors are all praying. And God didn't say to do any of that. He just said, lift the stick over the sea and I'll part it. Moses obeys. He lifts the stick and the miracle working power of God is released. What is it that turns God from a presence inside you to a power in your world? It's the voice of God and obedience. This is why fear locks our meetings into ritual. Somebody somewhere needs to break rank and go, I just heard him. Right? I just heard God speak and I'm going to step out into what he says. Because when we do, that's where the miracles are. I was in a large, respectable church and uh, I preached my sermon and it was at the end of the, they were singing the closing hymn actually. And there was a nice sense of God's presence and there was a little tap on my shoulder. Uh, I was stood on the front row and this lady had tears in her eyes. She said, will you pray for me? I said, yeah, I'll pray for you. And so I, I prayed for her and then suddenly the, the front was full of people wanting prayer. So the elders got up and they were praying for everybody. And there was nice stuff going on for 10, 15 minutes. And then, you know, that lovely kind of pregnant sense of the presence of God. We were just there enjoying his presence. And come on, God, that was good, lovely, great. And then, then it happened. God said to me, run. I said, no. He said, run. I said, why? He said, run. I said, where? But God doesn't have to answer our questions. If you know, the voice of God just comes like waves, ever so gently. Run. run. I've never done it before. I've never done it since. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> but he was saying, run. Right? So it's not a habit. This is what we do. We make a culture. Suddenly we become the running church. Because <laughs> that's what we do. We immediately take relationship and turn it back into new ritual. But we're supposed to stay in the place of relationship. Run, run, run. And has your body ever started to do something your mind disagreed with? I headed off down, about five hours in this place. I head off down the far aisle, my arms out like this shouting, drink from the river. I'm a Pentecostal. I don't say stuff like that. Never been to Toronto in my life. So I'm running up the far, drink from the river. And I'm thinking, just run straight out the back door. You never have to come back. It's not your church. 
I get halfway up, I look across, there's a 17-year-old girl running up the middle aisle. I thought, thank God, another idiot, there's two of us. I run all the way around, I run back up onto the platform, I pick up a glass of water. Now, a glass of water in the hands of anyone even slightly prophetic is dangerous. I look for the most miserable part of the congregation, which happened to be here. I throw the glass of water, realise what I've done, and run again. I ran all the way around the hall, back up onto the stage, and I fell under the spirit of embarrassment on the floor. I thought, if I twitch every now and then, they'll think it's God. But really, I just want to stay here till they all go home. <laughs> my spirit is electrified, but my brain is going, Plonker, what are you doing? I was working nearby, so I ended up, you know, I was staying with people from that church all that week. So, you know, the next Sunday came and I was still in the area. You're going to come to church. I managed to avoid the morning, but by the evening, it was like, okay. So I went to church. I did not want to see them again, ever. I went to church. Halfway through the worship, they stopped and they said, we're just going to hear what God did last week. And I'm like, I want to hear what God did last week. What did he do? And people that have been healed, backsliders that come back to Christ. You know, when the elders were praying for people, lovely stuff went on. Then this young girl got up. And she said, as you know, I've had ME for seven years. I don't, I, I come to the morning service, but I'm too exhausted to come out in the evening. But last Sunday afternoon, God said to me, I want you to go to church tonight. I'm going to make you run and I'm going to heal you. She said to God, but we don't run in our church. I thought, I thought what church do you run in? Chris Akabusi's church? I don't know, where, where, where do you run? Her words, I looked up. And I saw Jared running, and as I saw him, the power of God came on me. I ran up the middle aisle, and God did a healing work in my life. <laughs> Miracles are hearing that voice. Listen, I haven't got time to teach it. This is half my, my thing. The great secret to the presence of God, that atmosphere that we had a moment ago, the feeling is nothing. That's just how we're responding and some feel more and some feel less. It's not really that relevant. The most important part of the presence of God is that it is a communicator of the voice of God. Do you remember Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit will pour out. What will be the result? There'll be dreams, visions, and prophecies. So what he's doing when you feel him is he's trying to communicate. He's not trying to make you feel. In particular, I just, feel, I just think that's how we respond, and we feel in all different levels. But always, the whole point of his presence is he's speaking. Isaiah 63 calls it the angel of his presence. Isn't that an incredible, incredible? The angel of his presence saved us and carried us. Isn't that an amazing verse? Of course, the word angel just means messenger, the messenger of his presence. When he turns up, the messenger, the postman of God has arrived. And what he's saying is, if you do this, I'll do that. If you do this, I'll do that. But our fear says, no, we'll play church instead of hearing the voice and doing what he says. But actually, wouldn't it be radical if we just led church hearing his voice and doing what he said? That maybe, just maybe, God knows how to run church. I know it's wild, isn't it? And he's in heaven going, three fast songs. Three fast one of our uh, elders, uh, a, a lady, she, um, she had terrible arthritis for years. And, you know, again, you pray in every sort of way. And then one day God just said, put lemon juice. One evening, put lemon juice on your joints. And she's like, lemon juice? Lemon juice doesn't heal joints. But she thought, but waving sticks doesn't part seas. And 
shouting at Jericho, shouting at cities, don't make them fall. In other words, it's that he says it that matters. So she said, well, I don't have to tell anyone. So she got the pancake stuff, you know what I mean? And she put it on all her joints, woke up completely healed. <laughs> a little while ago, one of our ladies with fibromyalgia, uh, walking stick, uh, disability sticker for a car and all that kind of stuff. She was in a home group and the home group leader felt, prayed for her in all sorts of ways, but this time with the voice. It's always different when the voice comes. And uh, uh, this time the home group leader felt, lift your stick over your head. And uh, she was like, that's going to hurt. But okay, I'll give it a go. She lifted a stick over her head. By the time she'd been driven home, she said, I'm going to walk from the top of the street and see how I go. Within a week, she's giving back a disability uh, sticker, working. You see, miracles are just in the voice. This is why fear is our greatest danger. Because, I mean, let's be honest. God might say do, to do something scary. Can you imagine if the children of Israel had been English at Jericho? We'd have loved the first six days of silence, right? We'd have broken out the cucumber sandwiches and cups of tea. We'd be marching quietly around Jericho. We're binding the strong man. Oh, I do like this quiet church. See, you need to be free enough not to be weird, just free enough to be obedient. Let that land as a person and as an entire church don't be weird, but be free enough to be obedient. Day seven comes. Pastor Joshua stands up. Shout for the Lord has given you the city. We'd have been like, we're not doing that. We're English. So here's a question. If they hadn't shouted, would the walls have fallen? So here's our great challenge. We're involved in the miracle. Don't hide in a corner praying for miracles. Jesus didn't say pray for the sick. He said, heal the sick. There's a challenge, right? You're all looking a bit worried at me now. Fear. I put it this way, locks God in a box. Um, I won't do that. We're running out of time. Let's go this way. I've got to be honest. Um, one of the greatest dangers for us as Brits is, is being nice. I think one of the greatest deceptions is that as English Christians, we're supposed to be nice. I don't know about you, I read the book of Acts, they're causing riots. When Wesley used to preach, some of the good old Wesley churches, they have escape doors at the back of the pulpits so that when the congregation would rush at them, they could escape out with their lives, disappear. Well, Wesley, I think it was Wesley, was once preaching and he wasn't getting persecuted. He was terribly worried about this, so he stopped and went and prayed in a field. Oh, God, they're not persecuting me. I must, be, I must be wimping out in some way. That's my version, obviously. Oh, God, what's wrong with me? And suddenly this rock came over the hedge and hit him on the head. And he said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Wesley turned the nation upside down. We need to get that fire back, not live in fear of people's faces or that everything has to be controlled by British culture. God is not English. He's not even African. Sorry, African guy. He's probably Welsh. <laughs> well, the Bible was written in Wales, Welsh originally. We all know that. So, and um, fear locks what God wants to do. We need to deal with fear in our lives and become brave and step out. So, a culture of boldness is necessary to see God moving. The second one, 
of these three that I'm ending on is we need to deal with the culture of religion. I, I love this. Listen to this. One of my favorite scriptures, Mark 7, 32. Jesus heals a deaf and mute man. It says, some people brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. I love this. Should we do it in a minute? He spat and touched the man's tongue. <laughs> I think I've got a good one. <laughs> See, I, I love this. It says that Jesus did what he saw his father doing. So I think sometimes God is like, let's have some fun. What should we get him to do today, Gabe? Make him spit on someone. <laughs> let's see if he'll do that. We've made them shout at cities. We've made them wave sticks overseas. Let's, 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 let's get him to spit on someone. But Jesus was obedient. He spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said, which is roughly what it says, which means be open. At this, at this, at this, at this, at what he'd just done, at the spitting and the sighing and the fingers in the ears, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. When we lock God into our run sheet, we miss him. When we say, God, what would you like to do? We are not professional church runners. We want you to blaze into our church. We want to hear your voice and do what you say. We'll even spit on people. Again, we make a culture out of stuff so much that I'm, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised somewhere if there's the first church of the spitting saints. You know what I mean? Somewhere in the world, where you, you turn up in Southwesters to the healing meeting. Do you know what I mean? It's just all the elders lining up. If there's green in it, does it do better? I don't know. You know what I mean? Just, I'm just making sure you're awake. I remember I talked about this verse in one place, and I went back a year later, and a little old lady came up to me, and she said, I did what you said. I said, what did you do? She said, I spat on someone. I said, no, it was an example. You weren't supposed to do it. I've never done it. It was an example. She said, it's okay, it works. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, I went, I was in this church. She said, it wasn't my church. I thought that helps. <laughs> she said, I, this, this, this lady sat down next to me and God said to me, the woman sat next to you is deaf. I want you to spit in her ear and I'm going to heal her. So she turned and said, excuse me, are you deaf? And the woman said, pardon. No, she didn't. I, I made, she didn't. She says, yes, I'm deaf in this one ear. And she said, well, God's told me to spit in your ear and he's going to heal you. I would have been like, not without a blood test, lady. Freaking. But the woman said, yes. She, spat, she put some spit on her fingers, put it in her ear, and God opened her ear. Miracles are just the response to small acts of obedience. That's all they are. We do what he says. But religion makes us trap God into our shape of what we think is spiritual. and what We, we do church for God when he wants to blaze into our world and he wants to come with his prophetic spirit, which is unusual. There is going to be a revival of the unusual in these last days. The prophets are coming. It's going to get a bit scary at times. We'll certainly feel, and this is big for us Westerners, out of control. But in that divine heavens culture, he does stuff that we can barely comprehend. So we have to lose our tidiness and our religion and our, Jesus, Jesus put it this way, um, you worship, this is incredible, you worship me in vain. They're just rules taught by man. 
Listen to that. You worship me, so the right name, the right songs, but it's all in vain. Instead of singing those songs on a Sunday, you could have been playing golf because it was all in vain. Now, I, I don't want to live by the rule of man. I want to know God. I remember being in, in, in a prayer retreat. Again, I had, I had a month to, to just pray and be with God. And, and um, it was down in, in Norfolk, and there was a golf course outside the retreat center. And one day in the middle of a, a prayer day, I'm looking out the window thinking, because prayer can be like this, you have to go through the boredom bits to get to the good bits, right? So I'm working through a boredom bit, looking at the golf course, thinking, that would be nice. It looks awfully good out there. It was sunny and everything. And, and then suddenly the golf course disappeared, and I had a vision of what looked to me like American Indian children. And they were screaming at me. And I, out of my spirit, I started to scream back. And have you ever watched Dances with Wolves? At the, at the end of the Dances with Wolves movie, the, um, one of Dances with Wolves' friends is up on a cliff on a horse, and he's singing over Dances with Wolves and stands with fists, I think it was. And he's, hey hey I begin to sing back to these kids that are screaming at me. Hey, hey. Now, please understand, my brain is going, shut up. <laughs> my spirit's going, oh. And I cry out for about five minutes. Hey, 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 oh. My brain's going, plonker, stop. <laughs> then it dies down and I turn around and I've got about five friends in the room. I turn around thinking, oh, no, what they're going to think. At least it's only five of them. As I turn around, the Spirit of God comes on me and I dance like a red Indian across the room. There's a semicircle of seats and I see an empty one at the end and I think, if I can just grab that and hold myself down, it'll stop. So I go, I sit down, I hold myself down. It's like an electric bolt goes back up through my backside and I dance back across. After about five times, I fall under the spirit of embarrassment on the floor again. And I lay there going, what on earth? See, there's two parts of you. You've got your brain working one thing and your spirit's working another. God is a spirit. And he wants us to keep in step with the spirit. And we've got all this British culture. And then we've got all of this power resident within us, if we'll only believe. So I've, 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 I've had this really weird little thing and five of my friends have watched me and it's awful. And For years, I, 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 I try to investigate ministry among American Indians and uh, when I'm in Canada, I try to connect up there and I'm on the internet and all this kind of stuff. Then one day I find myself in the Wayu Deserts of Colombia meeting a princess in Colombia for the first time and I walk into this classroom for this school that is now one of our schools and I walk in and I see those children and I thought, you're them. Today we feed, clothe, educate, and bring the gospel to about 1,800 children every week through seven schools along the Colombian coast and up into the Wayu Desert, all because a man danced like a red Indian in a room. In other words, let me get your attention. Go read Ezekiel. Go read about Elijah. Go read Daniel and realize the church is built on apostles and prophets, which means it's not humanizing it. If we humanize the church, we demonize the church. That sounds strong, isn't it? Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of man, not of God. The devil doesn't have to demonize things. He just humanizes them, and then they're powerless. I'm not going to demonize your meeting. I'll just humanize it and make it run off a run sheet. That's all I need to do. And you'll all be bored but think you're doing the right thing.
And God is saying, hear my voice. Let my presence break out. The devil is not scared of a powerless church. He is terrified of one that knows the culture of heaven and prays, our Father in heaven, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on this bit of earth, this Sunday, this Monday, this Tuesday, as it is in heaven. God, come and move among us. But we have to deal with our religious spirit that tries to tidy everything up. I remember being invited to a church in London, the opening of a new African church in London, a black church in London. And I was going down, I was going to lead worship, and my dad was going to preach. And, and the pastor spoke to me before, I said, look, we're a, we're a really small church. We, you know, we haven't got a band or anything, but I've, I've booked a little band to play with you. I, oh, right, yeah, what, what are they like? He said, wow, they're really, really great. They're not Christian, but they're really, really good. I thought, no, 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 no. So, so my self-righteous know-it-all gland took off, right? I know how to do, I know how to do worship. How can they follow the anointing and all that? I know how to do church. So, no, no, cancel the band. Anyway, I turn up three months later. He's forgotten to cancel the band. In walks a black raster band. Dreadlocks. Tea cozies on the head, yeah, smelling of stuff other than just tobacco and alcohol. They'd been gigging till the night before. I mean, they were high in the spirit. They turn up, they set up behind me, they turn everything I played into reggae. Shows the kind of era that I led worship that I would do things like, you laid aside your majesty, give up everything for me. Yeah, we know that one, right? Everything they turned into amazing, amazing grace. How sweet the sound, right? So we start, I just think what I always think of, well, I'll never come back again. I'll just do this and go home. Done. We start the first song that they turned into reggae. And I'm, I'm playing there and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm going, oh God, what should we do next? And, and God just said, invite my spirit to come. So I just prayed a prayer inviting the spirit of God to come. Lo and behold, people started to fall around the room under the power of the Holy Spirit. It was as if the glory of God rolled in from the platform behind me into this little gymnasium where we were meeting. For half an hour, people sang in tongues. People were being delivered. There was bodies around the room. They were just playing in, 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 in reggae. We don't know what's going on, but we're playing. They paid us. Half an hour in, I couldn't hear the guitarist. So I, I did a Chris Bowater. If you know what a Chris Bowater is, you always look holy like this, right? And you don't just go, what are you doing? You do, you do it like this. And you have a little sneaky holy peek. And I had a sneaky holy peek. The guitarist had put down his guitar. He was on his knees, tears streaming down his face, giving his life to the Lord. At the end of the service, his wife and child gave their lives to the Lord. And my religious spirit could have stopped the salvation of a household because I know how to do church. God says two things to me very often. Thankfully, the most common one is, I love you, you're doing great. The second most common thing he says to me, shut up. <laughs> Usually followed by a little man. <laughs> but God, shut up. Do what I say. As soon as you've been saved, more than about three weeks. I mean, let's be honest. You get someone newly saved at your church, within three months, they're telling you how to do it properly, aren't they? Because of the era they arrived in church. You know, oh, you've moved to communion. Why do you move to communion? We've got to deal with our religious spirit and let God have his church back. Finally, the third thing we've got to deal with. So we've got to get out of religion into life. The third thing is we need a culture. Let's see if you can get this, of justification. Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. God loves me. I'm his child. 
He thinks I'm incredible. He adores me. See, because Romans 8 tells us justification leads to glorification. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Our end game here is that we're supposed to be a glorified church, agreed? The pathway to that is a revelation of justification. In other words, I might be broken, but I'm absolutely fine with God. Ready to do miracles, ready to raise the dead. Here we go. Let's do it because it's all about the gospel. It's not about me. That's why they're called the gifts of the Spirit. They're not called the gifts of the Spirit because it's Christmas. They're called the gifts of the Spirit because you don't have to earn them. So you do miracles for free. Is that, is that landing? Right? So we need to have a sense in our church that God is good and his grace is good and he's for us. And in Numbers 22, I have, the, again, another one of my favorite scriptures. And it's Balaam and his naughty donkey, as I like to call it in some places, Balaam and his naughty ass. And it says here, Numbers 22, 24, the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again and the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there's no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. Please put yourself in this situation. Pretend you're Balaam and your donkey starts to speak to you. What have I done to make you beat me these three times? Now, I would have been running at that point. (laughs) But instead, he has a conversation with the donkey. Balaam answered the donkey, you've made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. The donkey replies to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden to this day? Am I in the habit of doing this to you? Balaam loses the argument with the donkey. No, he says. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Here's my point. If God can open the eyes of a donkey to see into the spiritual realm and open the mouth of a donkey to win an argument with a prophet, any old ass will do. Stop thinking you've got to be so special that your prayer life's got to be perfect. Wesley died wishing his prayer life was better. You're never going to lose those feelings of, I wish I could do this better for you, God. But the greatness of the gospel and the gifts of the Spirit is this. You're ready right now to raise the dead, to see signs and wonders, to to have God do remarkable things among us. Right here, right now, because of the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're ready. Because it's a gift. This glory on the church, it has to be a gift. There is no way we can earn what God is going to do. So the sooner we realize that the donkey hadn't been to Bible school, hadn't had a quiet time that morning, didn't understand the chronological differences between Ezra and Nehemiah. He was a donkey. But God can use anything. Are you ready to be used? I remember flying down to South Africa once. I was flying Air Sudan, such was my faith. (laughs) About a 17-hour flight. It's like it stops at every African village on the way to, to Johannesburg. Hours and hours. I got, I got on the flight and I, I sit down. And I, there's an empty row and I, I'm on the middle seat and I sit there going, wow, thank you, Jesus. Favor. <laughs> but the plane wasn't quite full yet. And up the aisle walks this drunk guy. They wouldn't have let him on the plane in these days. He's walking up the aisle drunk like this. And, I, and, he, and I'm, I'm, I'm binding him in Jesus' name and he's walking closer and closer. And then he looks across at the seat next to the window and he says, I think that's mine. Great. Here you go. And he sits down. He turns to me. Hello, what's your name? Oh, alcohol smash. I said, I'm Jared. What do you do? Well, I'm, I'm a minister. Jesus. I said, yes, that's the guy I work for. Yes. <laughs> and he begins to rant on at me about Christianity. Walking up the aisle as I try and ignore him is, how can I put it nicely? A really big lady. 
But I don't just mean ni nice and round. I mean documentary worthy. Walking. So imagine that the edges, the, the edges of the, of the wings are moving slightly as she walks up the aisle and boom, boom, on my water, there's this Jurassic Park ripples as she walks up towards me. And I'm like, and I'm looking at the empty seat and I'm looking at her. Oh, I bind fat woman in Jesus name. I rebuke you. And Jesus, she walks up and she sits down in the seat next to me. I'm under her armpit for 17 hours. Now, I know you would have got drunk guy and fat woman saved by the time you landed in Johannesburg, but not me. I was really, really irritable. Uh, and, and I don't say this in, in any way to glorify it. Uh, I got really angry. I was like, for heaven's sake, God, I'm going to serve you. And here I am under this woman's armpit, this bloke. You could at least organize the seats properly. <laughs> and do you ever have those bad moods where you get so bad, even if the angel Gabriel turned up, you were now in a bad mood and going to enjoy it, right? I was in one of those. <laughs> We eventually landed in Johannesburg and, and I, I removed myself from the armpit of the woman, got off the plane, got my bag and arrived. And I met the church administrator in, in the arrival area in, in the airport in Johannesburg and he said, you're late. <laughs> He's about six foot four. I said, I'm not. He said, you are. I said, I'm not. I'm thinking I can take him. He might be six foot four. He said, you're late. I said, it wasn't on the program. He said, it was. As soon as you, you let, you're late now, but when we get there, the worship started, you're on. So now I hate drunk guy, fat woman, and the church administrator. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake, I'm tired, I'm miserable. I turn up at the church. I, they're, they're all, there's a room full of pastors all worshiping like, and I'm at the back going, oh, stuff this lot, Lord. I'm in a bad mood. And all that. I know, I'll, I'll go up, I'll call a coffee break. Surely I can do that. Just, I'm, I'm a visiting speaker just call a coffee break and, and, and eventually the worship dies down the, the the host pastor oh it's great to have jared here blah 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 he's going to come and, and do whatever and so i walk up the middle aisle i get halfway up the aisle and in all of my anger and being a prat i still hear the voice of god he just said go and pick up that guitar isn't it funny he breaks through our stupidity I walked over, I, picked, I didn't care, so it actually helped. Fear was gone because I was now angry bold. <laughs> I don't recommend ministering angry, but sometimes it does. I've seen remarkable miracles when angry. Remark legs growing, or could just because you just go to another place within you. You don't care about being polite anymore. It's, Get here for heaven's sake. And you just, something happens. Well, I was in that, so I oh, picked the guitar up, put it over me, strung it out, three strings on it, and they were out of tune, but I didn't care. And God said to me, sing over them. So I said, you, I'm going to sing over you. And I sang, listen, this is not a prophetic seminar now, right? I sang anything that came into my head that sounded spiritual. And I began to sing over this guy, and he started to cry. And I thought, well, it's either really good. <laughs> so then I thought, I'm going to sing over you. And I started to sing. And he started, sorry, it was a he. He started to cry. And I'm like, okay, two people crying, that's enough for a meeting, call a coffee break. But the pastor got up and he was all excited, no, sing over more. So I start, and, I, and I'm there for an hour singing over everyone in the room, they're falling, there's snot and tears everywhere. There's a guy that runs John G. Lake's main church in Johannesburg. He's all snot and tears, there's a new carpet in this place. He stood like this, just hanging snot like this. But there's a new carpet, so the elders are following around with a huge wad of tissues, trying to catch it all. Chaos for an hour, sang over all of them, went through to the coffee lounge next door and sat down with that feeling of a little boy sat outside the head teacher's office going, what have I done? 
And then they started to walk through, and each one would say, it's amazing, you sang word for word a prophecy from last week at our church. Then the next one, you sang word for word the call of God over my life from 20 years ago. And every single one, word for word, word for word, word for word. In that meeting, an entire denomination opened up to my ministry. I'm sitting there going, but God, I'm in a really bad mood. I'm ungodly. I'm immature. As far as I'm concerned, and here's the error, I'm unusable. And I heard God laugh. He said, even on your worst day, I'm still good. And I can make your worst day one of the most significant days in your ministry if I choose to. This is all about me, not you. In the equation of power and success, stop making you so big and me so small. You have a great big God. I remember once feeling low, down, guilty, shame-filled. I was at Bible school. <laughs> no, it wasn't their fault. It wasn't their fault. I was just going through stuff. And... But you had to turn up for worship every morning. I thought, well, if I lie on the carpet, as long as I don't snore, they'll think I'm being spiritual, but I can sleep. So I go and I lie down by making it look spiritual. But in that atmosphere of worship, instead of sleeping up, God took me up in a vision and I found myself stood on a mountain and before me was Jesus, was God and his legs went down into the valley and his head went up into the clouds and he was built like Arnold Schwarzenegger, just like me. He's just, just, <laughs> and immediately came to my, the Lord is a warrior and he raised his arms and he began to bellow and shout, you are my son. You are my son. And everything shame-filled in me began to tremble and break and quake and all the rubbish that I thought about myself. He was saying two things that I, I felt in that moment. Number one, he wasn't ashamed of me. He was still going to shout out to the whole world, you are my son. You are my son. But the second thing was, I was looking at a warrior. I was looking at might. I was looking at power. And I could feel in his words him saying, this DNA is inside you. If, if you learn how to live by this strength that you see, you won't live in this shame. You are my son. Yes, you were born of Marion Cooper in 1970. But you were born of the Spirit of God in 1977. And now you are genuinely, not just adopted, yes, your body's adopted, but you are genuinely my son. If we could register your spirituality, we would find the very DNA of the King of Kings bubbling inside my stomach. You are my son. If you live by this, you will know might and power that you don't deserve. That's the gospel. That's the atmosphere of heaven when we realize, right, he's ready to use kids. He's ready to use kids who will pick their nose one minute and perform a miracle the next. He's ready to use four-year-olds. He's ready to use old, young, fat, thin. He's ready to use theologically literate and theologically illiterate. This whole area of the power of God moving amongst us is a gift. And the more we dance the dance of justification, and celebrate that he's such a good God. Look what he's doing. And look how it really isn't about how clever we are. He did stuff that made us, our mouths filled with laughter. And our hearts filled with hope. That's who our God is.
a culture of justification. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I go to some churches, you know, and they're quite dutiful. Our church isn't like that. They're quite um, heavy on uh, hard work. Not me. Yeah, we work hard. I'm not really into handing out sheets to, to tell everybody how to have quiet times. I get it all rigidly done, and if they all behave themselves, God will move among us. Well, it's not quite like that. This is the kind of building that God's glory fills when the atmosphere of justification, we're loved, we're dancing in the river. We don't deserve this at all. He is so, so good. And it's that goodness that leads us to repentance. It's not there's no repentance, but it's how to that good, kind, oh, good. Heavens, he's so kind. Look at the miracles that he's done through us when we didn't deserve it. Something happens in that atmosphere. This is what happens. Miracles and the life of power becomes accessible to everyone, not just men of God on platforms. When that hits our kids, we train our kids in the miraculous. When it hits our kids, then you kind of know, right, that's it. He's good. He's good and ready to move among us. We're just standing in God's presence just for a moment. We've got five minutes. Did you get something out of that? I hope you did. I hope it. Just close your eyes real quick. Let's just pray. Raise, raise your hands to heaven if you're comfortable doing that. Let him fill you. He's here. He's here. He's here.